0: You may be seated. Before we turn to Matthew 18, I wanted to say that I was uh, specifically asked to bring greetings from our brothers and sisters in Juarez, Mexico, from three churches that we partner with, Iglesia Promesa de Vida, Iglesia Torre Fuerte, and Iglesia del Sur. I remembered all three of them, and it's just such warm fellowship that we shared last week and last Sunday with, uh, with their churches, and they want to uh, send greetings and thanks to you for sending the team of missionaries that you did. You'll hear about uh, the Juarez Report, the Moldova Report, and the Omaha Indian Reservation Report throughout the month of July in the uh, Sunday evening gatherings, so check your calendars for those events coming up. Now, let's turn to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 is going to be our text for this morning, and it's part of a sermon series I've been preaching through on Christ-commissioned unity, beginning in that prayer in John 17, where Jesus prayed that we would be one, even as He and the Father are one, that that unity that we share in Jesus Christ would be a, a witness to the watching world that the gospel is true, that the forgiveness that God offers us in his Son is the same forgiveness we offer one another, and that unity is a testament to the truth of the gospel. We looked at the threats to unity in James chapter 4. Those are real, and we need to guard against those. We looked at battling bitterness in Romans chapter 12, as as well as what that genuine love looks like from Romans 12. We looked at the unity that really comes when we have the discernment that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7 of judging justly. And then last time we were together, we looked at what is required for unity in pursuing and restoring sinners. Matthew 18 verses 15 to 20 demonstrate when someone sins and and we see that and we bring that to their attention and go to them. Our desire is to win that brother. In gentleness, in meekness, we go to them, tell them their sin privately, and then, if necessary, bring someone with, and then bring it to the church. The desire is to reclaim and restore lost sinners. Well, how do we do that? How do we actually work that out? That's what today, in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, is all about. It really requires us to re- reconcile relationships through forgiveness. And Peter's question after Jesus told us the, the process for restoring sinners, Peter asked, how many times do I have to do this, Jesus? How many times do I have to forgive? He thought he was be- being generous in saying seven times. But follow along as I read Matthew eighteen twenty one to 35 to hear Jesus' response. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us your truth, that you sanctify us by this truth. We know that's the prayer of your Son for us. Lord, it's difficult for us to consider this subject. For some of us, Lord, the real struggle is how can we forgive others? We find it so difficult to find the strength, the ability to forgive others. It's so difficult for us. For others of us, we struggle with even asking for forgiveness. We struggle with swallowing our pride and humbly asking others to forgive us. Lord, wherever we struggle, in either of those ways, or both of those ways, Lord, I pray that your word would direct us, motivate us, Empower us by your Holy Spirit to live out the gospel in our relationships, both in granting forgiveness and seeking forgiveness when needed. Lord, thank you that you have guided us by your word. We pray that we would walk in those steps. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had an incredible debt that you couldn't pay? I mean, just one that was so overwhelming, so great, there was no way that you were going to be able to get out from under of it. Maybe it was medical expenses that piled up. Maybe it was some downturn in the market. Maybe it was something that just piled on top that you just felt like there's no way that I'm going to make it through. A crushing debt. I think of uh, last year, Janie and I made a big decision that we were going to invest in vinyl siding on our house. Now, this is the biggest investment next to the purchase of my house that we were gonna make, but I got sick of repainting and wood rot and all that stuff, so we just bit the bullet. And six months, same as cash, in order to get time to refinance the house, I took out this line of credit so that I could get that siding put on my house. And it took forever for the actual signing guys to get there, but I kept getting the statement saying, hey, you owe this much, but it's deferred until six months. Hey, you owe this much, but it's deferred. It's deferred. And I got to admit, I kind of lost track of where I was at in things until the bill arrived that says you owe all of the back interest and these finance charges for the last six months because... I had extended the grace period, which is six months, plus six days. I thought of what am I going to do? How am I going to face my wife, for one thing? But how can I. Talk to this person on the phone. I was going to call them, and maybe I would make some excuses, and I would say, well, you know, the mail in my area was a little behind me getting the mail, I guess. I'm always a number of days behind, or, you know, the workers that came didn't even start the siding until three months after I had already, but I thought, oh none of that's going to go well if I just try and shift the blame, or if I try to make excuses. That's, that's not going to cut it, so and I called I explained the situation, and they said, do you have the money to pay in full? I said, yes, I I can pay for the siding. Okay, let's take care of that transaction. We took care of it over the phone. She reversed the finance charges. And $1,834 later, I'm free of that debt. Oh, I mean... Really, the biggest thing was my concern about calling Janie about that. But I called her after. I said, praise God, I thought we were going to owe all this money, and then it turns out we didn't. It got forgiven. And I don't know. It, it was amazing, and maybe you've been forgiven a greater debt than that. But for me, that, that was huge. Now, imagine after that phone call, I go out with Tony for lunch, and I said, hey, you remember last week when you didn't have your wallet and I paid for your lunch, that $10? I want it now. I'm going to call the police and put you in jail until you give me back my $10. Ridiculous, right? Well, that's kind of like the parable that Jesus told to Peter to explain how many times should we extend grace? How should we forgive those who sin against us? We have to really accept and see the point that Jesus has that It's God's forgiveness of us that drives our forgiveness of one another. It's not how you treated me. It's how God has treated me that drives our forgiveness. And I don't want you hear anything that I say today to minimize how you may have been sinned against. Sin and wickedness done from any person to another person is destructive, hurtful, Harmful, devastating, in many levels i 'm not minimizing the sin that you may have been that you may have suffered. We just have to put it on the same scale that Jesus puts our sin against God in comparison to any sin that any of us could do with against one another. So I want to look at this through the lens of uh, when I need god 's forgiveness, and then secondly. When you need my forgiveness, and then thirdly, when I need your forgiveness. So when we look at our need of God's forgiveness, that's where Jesus goes directly to in his parable when Peter asks, how many times should I forgive someone else? He goes right to the story about the king and his servants. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants When he began to settle, one was brought who owed him 10,000 talents. So we're going to get into the facts and figures of this in a moment. But Jesus' approach was to immediately take Peter to what it is that God sees in us. What do we owe to God? And this first servant represents that, 10,000 talents to his master, the king. And he couldn't pay. He obviously couldn't pay. In verse 25, his master ordered that he be sold, his wife, his children, all that he had, payment had to be made. Seems pretty harsh, doesn't it, today? But the servant fell on his knees in verse 26, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. That was a lie, a flat-out lie. There's no way possible that he could have repaid what was owed. We'll look at that in a moment. But verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. See, this describes the way that we've been forgiven by God. By our king, by our master, of our great and unbelievable debt, he releases us and he forgives us. What what a way to picture how our sin debt has been forgiven by God. Your infinitely holy and righteous God has forgiven you of your cosmic treason against him by taking and accepting the sacrifice of his son Jesus on your behalf and by faith crediting that to you so that you no longer owe him that debt. And then he accepts you as his child because of the righteousness that Christ has. That's how much you've been forgiven. That's how much you have received from this gracious, merciful God who doesn't owe you a thing except hell and damnation. That's the scale that God wants to put Peter on before he ever brings another human being into the into the equation. So, since the Lord's forgiven you, you can and must forgive one another. Since the Lord has forgiven you so much, you can forgive forgive others so little. Well, what makes the difference here? You see, the second servant that comes into the picture, as that same servant, verse 28, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I mean, he no sooner left the presence of the king, he runs into this other guy that he seeks out who owes him a hundred denarii. We're going to get into how much that actually is. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Even his master didn't seize him right away and start to choke him. He says, pay me what you owe. Verse 29, his fellow servant did exactly the same thing he did. He fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. The thing was, that wasn't a lie. A denarii is equal to a day's wage for a regular day laborer in that day. And so... 100 days of work, a third of a year's worth of salary, and he would have been out from underneath the debt. Just give me some time. And that's a manageable debt. That That's a reasonable debt. He he could certainly have paid that off. What was the fellow servant's response? Verse 30, he refused and went and put him into prison until he could pay his debt. Okay, so if a denarii is one day's wage for a normal Laborer, and this servant owed his fellow servant one hundred days' labor, or one hundred denarii. How much is a talent? Well, by my calculations of what scholars have gleaned of how much a talent of gold actually is worth, that just one talent of gold would be sixteen years' worth of labor. Maybe fifteen. Let's round it to fifteen years of labor. So, one talent, fifteen years of labor. 10,000 talents? We're talking 150,000 years of labor. Never. In 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 20 lifetimes are you going to be able to come up with what you owe. And that's the magnitude of the way that our sin has offended God. Why is it so high? The math works this way. As I understand God's holiness and righteousness that He's infinite in that. He's eternal in that. So His infinite holiness times one sin being offended is infinity. infinity. Infinite transgression. Two sins, three sins, four sins. The math is by multiplication ending up to be my offense is infinitely offensive to God. The debt I owe is such a great number. By comparison, The debt you owe me or that I owe you is only one sinner against another sinner. There's no multiplying that by your infinite holiness because it's certainly not there and neither by my infinite holiness. It's just not there. And so as wicked and hurtful and harmful as sin is against one another, it's true. I'm not trying to minimize it. But compared to the infinite offense and the infinite load of our debt to God, it just doesn't measure up. So that's where the lunacy of this servant strangling his fellow servant comes in. How could he do that? You've just been forgiven all of this debt. Why would you do that? Here in this parable, we see not just the example or the the, the motivation and the grounds for forgiving others, but we also see the example or the method that we should go about it in Colossians 3.13, the kind of key to unlock how our forgiveness works is bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, as the Lord has forgiven you. Um, you can look at that two ways. It's it's the ground and the, the motive. God's forgiven you, so You should be motivated to forgive others. You should be thankful and grateful for all the forgiveness you've received and pass it on to someone else. But it's also an example. Every way that you understand the Bible to speak of the way God forgives you is the manner or the method that you should use in forgiving one another. Let's look at a few verses that epitomize the way that God forgives us. You'll recognize a number of them from our assurances of pardon how God forgives us. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Blots them out. Clicks undo. You can't see it anymore. It's erased. And then he remembers them no more. This is an omniscient God who can't forget. God doesn't forgive and forget. He chooses to remember them no more. It's the same phrase that he uses in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That's what God says about us. Psalm 103. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's how he forgives. That's how we ought to forgive. Micah 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnants of his inheritance? He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. They're gone. They're sunk. I'm not going to remember them anymore. I've blotted them out. I've removed them. Do you see the extent, the magnitude of the way in which God forgives you? As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. So when we forgive one another, we're refusing to condemn another. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, declared not guilty. When someone asks you to forgive, Peter, whether it's seven times or 70 times seven, forgive as I have forgiven you. When you forgive, it's not primarily if you feel like it. It's primarily because you have been forgiven. You're making a promise. Because God promises that I will remember your sins no more. We need to make that same promise. When someone asks, will you forgive me? I promise I will forgive you. I promise that I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to condemn you. My promise is to you. I'm not going to bring it up. My promise is also, I'm not going to bring it up to other people and say what you did and bring it up again. I've released you from it. I am not going to bring it up to anyone else. I'm not even going to bring it up to myself. Dwell on it. Mull over it. I can't believe they did that. No, I got to refuse to remember it to myself. And fourthly, I can't remember it to God, complain against him and say, God, why did... No, these promises are the way that God promises to forgive us. That's the way that God has forgiven us, and that's the way we should forgive one another. But what about when you need my forgiveness? How do I approach that? Again, in verses 28 to 30, we see that that servant went out and found another one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He seized him, began to choke him. So his fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused, went out, and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. This is not the example For how we are to treat others when they ask for our forgiveness. When they have a debt against us, how should we respond? Jesus has taught us. He taught us how to pray about it. Every week we pray about it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to have the same attitude that God has towards us in forgiving us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In dealing horizontally with some other human being who's offended you, you've got to first go vertical and see how God has, a, has forgiven you. If you don't go there, you're going to treat them like they treated you. Just back and forth. They don't deserve your forgiveness any more than you deserve God's forgiveness. God is so gracious. He's so kind and so merciful to forgive me my sins. The attitude which I approach somebody who asks for my forgiveness is certainly... I must forgive you for that since he's forgiven me so much. Now, when somebody sins against me and they need my forgiveness, there are times when I can, if it's a minor offense, we talked about this last time, cover over that transgression in love as 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all else, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. For these minor offenses... Proverbs nineteen eleven 11 makes it, its good sense and it makes one slow to anger and it's his glory to overlook an offense. There are minor offenses that can be overlooked or as we looked at last time in Matthew 18, when we need to confront somebody over their sin, when we need to bring it to their attention, we do it in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on ourselves. And we go to them seeking to restore them, not seeking to choke them and to uh, make them pay us back. So, This vertical dimension of forgiveness, it's the only standard that we can extend when we talk about this horizontal application of forgiveness. I must never base the way that I treat you on the way that you treat me, but on how God does. My sin against God is always bigger than your sin against me. Because it's against a holy God. Every sin is first and foremost an offense against God and then secondarily against you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is wicked in your sight, is what David prayed. I must see others in the light of the cross, like God sees me as righteous and beloved in Christ. So, when Christ went to the cross, and it's described in Colossians as him canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. My sin, nailed to the cross. Your sin, if you're trusting and asking for his forgiveness, it's nailed to the cross. If I refuse to forgive you when you ask me to forgive you, it's as if I walk up to the cross of Christ and say, no, I want to take that sin and I want to use it against him. How dare we even consider doing that? You know, if you have a low de- low view of your sin debt against God, if you think, I'm really, am a pretty good person, much better than that person or that person or that person, then you're going to have a low view of God's grace towards you and His forgiveness of you. And so you're not going to be able to extend that grace to another. If my promise to forgive you is less than God's promise to forgive me, you really don't get the gospel we need to be able to extend the same forgiveness that we have been given. And so we need to be careful that we don't cherish a grudge, that we don't hold on to a hurt, that we'd be ready and willing to forgive. And that's where it starts. It starts with, when you need my forgiveness, I need to be ready to forgive. And internally, I should have forgiven you as you come. Now, there's an internal forgiveness the bible describes jesus talks about it in mark 11:25 he says whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses so there's a time for that when somebody when you have anything against someone you can forgive them and then in Mark or in Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 and 24 there are times that we got to go make it right before we can worship God. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. See that internal attitude of forgiveness has got to precede somebody coming to you and asking for your forgiveness. We need to get rid of any bitterness or grudges and be ready to forgive, because that's what God does for us. That's how God approaches us. When we're stiff-necked, when we're rebellious, when we just continue in our sin, what is God doing? Well, Psalm 86 5 says, for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. He's waiting for that call. He's like, I'm ready to forgive. In Nehemiah 9.17, Nehemiah describes the people of God who were wayward in so many ways, went after false gods, were rebellious, and it says they refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and you did not forsake them. Don't ever give up on someone else until their last breath in their lungs. God may bring them to repentance and come to you and ask your forgiveness. Are you ready to receive them? Are you ready to have that conversation where you extend forgiveness to them if they confess to you? Finally, when I need your forgiveness, how do I go to you and ask for forgiveness. I mean, we see the fellow servant going to the one that he owed 100 denarii to, and when he is confronted with his debt, when he's confronted with what he owed, he says, and he pleads with him, he implores him, forgive me and I will repay. But when the word got back to the master that this second, this first servant did not at all receive and forgive his fellow servant. Our Father in heaven was terribly displeased, and he says, "You sh- should not. You have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you." The same way, the first servant comes, verse twenty six, fell on his knees, imploring him, "Have patience with me, and I will repay you." Uh, that that's humility. That that's coming with a brokenness, a contrite heart, and saying. Forgive me. And the second servant did the very same. His fellow servant, verse 29, fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. You see, when we come before our God over our sin, we ought to be broken. We ought to be humble. When we come to somebody who we've sinned against, come in humility. There are so many obstacles for us really confessing our sin in a, in a, in a careful and a good way. And humility is what gets us every time. If we lack humility in coming to somebody, there's just no chance for us to really work through this and to be reconciled. And, you know, apologizing just, it isn't enough. Apologizing says, I'm sorry. It just kind of floats out there. It's It's a declaration of your feelings. But asking somebody for forgiveness requires them to respond. Will you forgive me? And then the response is a promise not to remember those sins again. Forgiving yourself? Is that in the Bible somewhere? I don't see it. and Because I, I, I don't see that our offense, our sin is against ourselves. So how can we forgive ourselves? And I understand the sentiment behind it. I really think it has more to do with you embracing and understanding that you have truly been forgiven by God. Forgiving yourself really means recognizing how real and certain God's forgiveness of you really is. It's not letting shame and false guilt hold you down. And so understanding that God forgives us fully and completely in Christ is liberating. Ken Sandy says in making a good confession, there are seven parts of this. You've heard me say them before. We need to address everyone involved Make sure it's thoroughly done. We need to avoid if, but, and maybe. I'm sorry if I hurt you. If you did, so just say it. We need to admit specifically both attitudes and actions. Don't leave it in these vague realm of, I'm sorry for everything I ever said. Let us be specific. Acknowledge the hurt. Really express sorrow. Accept the consequences for your sin. Alter your behavior. And finally, actually ask for forgiveness. You know, we teach our children this, don't we? We we walk them through when you hit your brother. That hurt him. Go to him and ask him to forgive you. I'm sorry for hitting you. That was wrong. Would you please forgive me? They forgive. And it settles it because that's the way God has treated us in Christ. Look, there are times when I need God's forgiveness. And to understand what that's like, Jesus gives us this parable. There are times where I need you to forgive me. And there's times where you need me to forgive you. And this parable helps us to keep it and encapsulate it all together. But I want you to know that this is so important, I'm going to remind you about it every single week. Week after week after week. Every week, it's hard-baked into our liturgy, that we come before this holy God as sinners who confess their sins and who need forgiveness from God. And when we receive that forgiveness from God, we can forgive one another. We can have that peace with one another that only the gospel can work in us. Again, we need those reminders. We need that truth to settle deep into our hearts so that we can reconcile relationships with forgiveness let's pray together lord i confess this this is uh impossible except for the power of christ at work in us the gospel of grace is what transforms our thinking lord your forgiveness of our great debt is amazing we marvel at it and i pray that we would just overflow with love and mercy and forgiveness to those who hurt us. And Lord, if there are some that are struggling with humility, that their pride is just holding them in a place where they will refuse to admit their sin and to ask for forgiveness, I pray that you would break their hard hearts and cause them to ask for forgiveness. Lord, if there are any here that are struggling with being able to grant forgiveness to somebody who has asked, they're unwilling to forgive or, or harboring bitterness. Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts, that they would be ready to forgive, that they would be anxious and waiting and praying about that opportunity to grant forgiveness. Lord, do this to bring unity to your church, to reconcile believers, reconcile families, to reconcile neighbors, Lord. Bring us together by your gospel of grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.